Great. Good morning. Good morning. I call the San Francisco Department of Disability and Aging Services Commission meeting of Wednesday, February 7th, 2024 to order. I am the commission president, Janet Spears. This commission meeting is being conducted pursuant to the provisions of the Brown Act. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this meeting via sfgovtv.org and sfgovtv channel 78, and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and staff who are watching us on SFGovTV. To eliminate background interference, all panelists and presenters that are presenting via WebEx are asked to mute themselves when not speaking or waiting to present. Additionally, the San Francisco HSA DOS Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatus Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatus Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in this traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homelands. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Secretary, please take the roll. Good morning and thank you, President Spears. Commissioners, please respond with present when I call your name. President Jenna Y. Spears. Present. Vice President Nelson Lum. Present. Commissioner Sasha Bidner. Present. Commissioner Wanda Zhang. Present. Commissioner Martha Knutson. Present. Commissioner Barbara Sklar. Not present. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington. Present. And Com DOS Executive Director Kelly Deeren. Thanks, President Spears. We have a quorum. Commissioners, the next item is item three, communications. We'd like to provide further instructions for the public comment process. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda and during general public comment. Both channel 78 and SFGov TV are streaming the numbers across the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during public comment period are available via phone call. During each public comment period, viewers and callers will be instructed to call 1-415-655-0001, access code 2664-372-1094, pound, and then pound again. When connected, you'll hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to, are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. You'll have three minutes to speak. You'll be informed by the moderator when you have 30 seconds left. After 30 seconds, you'll be muted and placed back to listening mode. Alternatively, public comment can be submitted by email to ravi.derbige at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it'll be forwarded to the commission and will be included as part of the official docket. Are there any other communications from DOS Commission members? No? Okay, we can move on to the next item. Commissioners, your next item is item agenda four, approving the minutes of Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, DOS Commission meeting minutes. Are there any comments or questions from the commission regarding the Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, DOS Commission meeting minutes? Nope. 
Are there any members of the public that would like to comment? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. Moderator, are there any callers in the queue? No callers, thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on the item, is there a motion to approve the Wednesday, January 10th, 2024 so moved. Commission meet, meeting minutes? <laughs> so moved. Second. All right. Mr. Secretary, will you please take the, the roll call vote for the uh, commission meeting minutes of the 10th? President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Commissioners, item five is the elect, um, executive director's report um, presented by the DOS executive director, Kelly Dearman. Thank you so much, President Spears. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, so I just have a few updates. First, I want to say Happy New Lunar New Year to everyone. Happy Black History Month. Um, we're happy here at DOS and at HSA. We will have several celebrations to commemorate these events. On the federal level, the breaking news is that just yesterday, the first substantial update to most Older Americans Act program regulations um, was finally finished. These are the first, this is the first time since 1988, and the Older Americans Act final rule aligns with regulations to the current statute, addresses issues that have emerged since the last update, and clarifies a number of requirements. The point is to better support the National Aging Network that delivers Older Americans Act services and improve program implementation with the ultimate goal of ensuring that the nation's growing population of older adults can continue to receive the services and supports they need to live and thrive in their own homes and communities. So the final rule came out yesterday. It's some 400 pages. I haven't had a chance to read it or go through it, but once I do, I'll have more updates. And so um, at a state level, we are also um, trying to um, align and modernize the older California's Act, which was passed in 1980 and amended in 1997. So the Older Californians Act augments the Older Americans Act in important respects, providing funding for programs that build on the Older Americans Act. Um, so there are many programs that have evolved or been discontinued, and new programs have been established that are not included in the Older Californians Act. So. Um, with my partners at C4A, we're working to have legislation introduced that amends the act to reflect current and potential programming. So I will have more on that as um, it develops. Locally, um, okay, and I'm not talking about the budget either on a state level or the local level because that's coming up. <laughs> I'm just doing happy stuff today. Um, so. <laughs> This past month, our special projects manager, Maceo Pearson, Person, and Alexis Cobbins, the director of our DEIB office, partnered with the San Francisco LGBT Center's Trans Employment Program to host a workshop regarding the application process to city employment for transgender nonconforming and gender nonbinary community members. The workshop was followed by a panel led by Maceo Person with four additional city employees from various departments to discuss their experiences serving our communities by working at the city. 
trans and gender nonconforming people have a rich history here in San Francisco and play an integral role in ensuring that the city serves our community to the best of our capacity. We are proud to have supported this effort to encourage more diversity in our workforce. I next wanted to provide an update on the status of repairs at 6221 Geary, a building owned by the Felton Institute and home for multiple DOS services, including the Richmond Senior Center. Just as some background, the building at 6221 Geary, it's between 26th and 27th Avenue, started repairs for asbestos remediation in November 2022. It was expected to last six to eight weeks. Work has taken far longer than that with major impacts on services for the Richmond Center through the spring of 2023. While services have resumed at the Richmond Senior Center, work is still not complete with some remaining construction on a small portion of the center. DOS-funded community centers are expected to be welcoming and inclusive spaces, and of course not construction zones. So everyone, most particularly the Richmond Senior Center staff and clients are frustrated with the process. The landlord, Felton Institute, is committed to completion of the work but it's been bogged down in delays due to construction and the building inspection processes. So our Office of Community Partnerships has an analyst assigned to this matter and is talking weekly with Richmond Senior Center leadership, Felton leadership, and property management. The plan is to continue to facilitate conversation among the parties and push for progress towards completion. District, District 1 Supervisor Connie Chan is aware of this situation and is frustrated as well and called for a hearing on the matter before the Budget and Finance Committee. This took place last week on Wednesday, January 31st. During the hearing, there were presentations and questions for representatives from DOS, City Building Inspection, Richmond Senior Center, and the Felton Institute. There is agreement among all parties that the work needs to be completed. As a result of the hearing, DOS will now receive weekly updates from the contractor doing the repairs. DOS staff will continue to work on this situation and hope for resolution in the coming two to three months. Lastly, uh, through her role on the board of the California State Association representing public administrators, public guardians, and public conservators, Jill Nielsen has been asked to join a statewide committee that will support county's implementation of SB 43 through, de through the development of best practices and sample policies, procedures, and protocols. This committee represents a collaboration between um, the public administrators, public guardian, and public conservator, and the County Behavioral Health Directors Association, and it will be composed of county public conservators and behavioral health professionals from across the state. And you all rem will remember that SB 43 is the new law that um, expands the definition of grave dis disability when it comes to um, conservatorship. So congratulations to Jill. I know that'll be a lot of work. And that is all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioners, are there any follow-up questions for Kelly? Okay. Hearing, hearing none, we will continue. Commissioners, item six is the DOS employee recognition um, presented by uh, Executive Director Dearman um, to honor uh, this month, February, Employee of the Month, Christina Tebow who is a social worker specialist in the DOS 
collaborative caregiving support team. Boy, I have like tongue tied this morning. <laughs> Christina Tebow started her career with IHSS as a social worker in March of 2021, overseeing a non-language caseload of 270 clients. Christina quickly earned a reputation as an energetic, responsive, and compassionate professional who was always willing to go the extra mile to serve her clients and offer support of any kind to her coworkers. With her boundless energy and drive, she quickly excelled in providing her clients and coworkers alike with exemplary care and customer services. In August of 2023, Christina made the transition to the Collaborative Caregiver Support Team, CCST, at DOS and was promoted to a social worker spe specialist position. CCST is a highly intensive unit that works with applicants and clients who struggle with I don't know what's happening, <laughs> who struggle with mental health and substance abuse challenges with the majority of the CCST recipients transi transitioning from houselessness to permanent supportive housing. As a CCST social worker specialist, Christina was tasked with the responsibility of connecting to her clients, and she excelled at building trusting relationships that helped facilitate services for them. She always prioritized the safety and trust of her clients first when placing them in their new homes. From the very start, Christina has displayed the highest levels of compassion, patience, and unwavering dedication toward her clients and her team. One particular situation stands out where Christina visited a client who was unsafely discharged from a facility and had not eaten since the previous day. Upon arriving at the client's home, she found the client laying on the floor. He had fallen out of his wheelchair the night before. Wow. At the same time, Christina was calling Adult Protective Services to report the client's imminent danger. She helped him to transfer into his bed, provided him with his necessary supplies, proceeded to cook the client a meal, and made sure he was taken care of, comforted, and supported. Christina acted without hesitation and compassion so that the client could remain safely in his home until APS responded and provided further support. Christina's willingness and desire to help those in need goes far and beyond any of her job duties and expectations. She is at heart the true definition of a social worker focused on improving the lives of the clients she serves and her coworkers alike. Because of all of these reasons and many more, we would like to congratulate Christina Tebow on being the DOS February 2024 Employee of the Month. I'm very appreciative of this recognition um, and to be able to serve a community that I love with coworkers that I really respect. Um, our clients are a part of our ecosystem. We're all connected and they deserve dignity, respect, and empathy. Um, I'm equally appreciative of my department and the leadership because I have really amazing leadership. And to my direct supervisor, Toshio Westland, who champions me, affirms me, and empowers me. It allows me to learn and evolve and be the best social worker I can be. So thank you very much for this recognition. <laughs> You're not done. <laughs>
Congratulations. Hey, that's the best part of the meeting, just so everybody knows. Um, I am uh, filling in for our secretary at this point. Um, commissioners, item seven is the advisory council uh, presentation presented uh, by President Diane Lawrence. Good morning, commissioners, executive director Dearman. That's always a hard act to follow. I know. <laughs> Sorry for you. That's okay. <laughs> I agree it's the best part of the meeting. Um, and I love telling those stories to my friends so people know what a great job everybody does. Um, so at um, our February, at our January meeting, um, we, Deputy Director Sydney, Sid, I do this all the time, Cindy Kaufman uh, gave the council an update on the budget process and um, was absolutely superb. Uh, we went over the first draft of the new 2025-2028 area plan on aging was reviewed. Uh, we will, at our next meeting, review the first draft so we can stay on track and get it um, approved. We reviewed and revised the um, grievance procedure last fall. The council members had some questions. Um, one of the attorneys on our, on our group had some questions and we also were concerned about whether it was our authority. So in, at our next meeting, we'll go back, take a look at it and vote. Um, and then um, I believe uh, Mike Zog will bring it back. Um, we have some site visits in the queue, but our agendas are a bit full this first quarter with the area plan and a few other things. But we will have some coming. I think we have three and a half ready to go. So that's, that's really good. Um, Dr. Juliet Rothman, who's been on the council for quite a while, has been offering three sessions with the Community Living Campaign on loss for the Inner Sunset uh, Connectors Program. And I just wanted to do a shout out there. Um, the District 1, this is good news, the District 1 and District 5 candidates applications for uh, have been moved by the supervisors to the Board of Supervisors Rules Committee. Um, I'm sure my name's on a list somewhere. Um, and Robbie's been following us up with us on the, with the Rules Committee Secretary to see where they are in the queue. We know that one of the candidates had to um, fill out an additional application. But we did invite the three candidates to our last meeting. Our thought was the area plans, nothing's worse than to come in in the spring and have to vote on it and not know anything about it, having done that. Um, and. We're just excited that hopefully they all get passed um, rapidly. The, um, we did have some sad news. Just our District 2 representative uh, will not be seeking reappointment, unfortunately, for personal reasons. So we'll be reaching out to, she was going to allow, she was going to contact Supervisor Stephanie and then we'll reach out and let her know there's an opening. Um, the application for the commission membership has been forwarded to the nominating committee and, I, and that's on your agenda for uh, this morning. Um, so where we are now is uh, two, um, we have two commission renewals. One application has been filed, the other one has not. So I believe there will be one, I'm hoping that the second application will make your March agenda so we'll be done with that. Um, Board of Supervisors, we have three reappointments. 
members have the applications. Um, district 4 rep has um, completed theirs. So has the District 6 representative, and we're working <coughs> with the District 8 representative. So the, if we get all of this done, we will then have um, four uh, vacancies with the um, commission, which we're working on. Um, and then we will have still, we will have an opening with Supervisor Stephanie, still with Melgar. And I spoke with a supervisor at a town hall a couple of weeks ago, and she's, she's working hard on it, but it is um, a challenge to find someone in that district. That's District 7. And then, um, again, District 9 and District 10. So that would leave us... So we're making progress. Um, and the Community Living Campaign has suggested that our Board of Supervisors representatives meet with... Um, when they meet with the supervisors, that our reps go with them just to talk about DOS and what they do. So we're in the planning stages with that. We will have our first leg <coughs> committee meeting at our September. If you remember, we rearranged, we reorganized the or joint ledge project, and we have full membership on that committee. Um, someone said they'd like to participate, and in my role as president, I can say yes, so I said yes. So we're ready to go. Are there any questions? Commissioners, are there any questions? For yeah. Okay, thank, thank you. you so very much. Commissioners, item nine, oh, actually item eight, is the case report presented by Dan Gallagher. Good morning, commissioners and executive director Dearman. Uh, my report today is uh, going to talk a little bit about the programming of CASE and um, uh, our new slate of officers and then some mention about the Dignity Fund Forget Us Not campaign. In terms of programming, in January, um, Cal AIM was presented by uh, several people from San Francisco Health Plan uh, particularly around its enhanced care management. And I mentioned this in the January meeting, so I don't need to talk more about that. But I will say, as a, uh, the executive director of an organization that provides enhanced care management services, I can't imagine not providing these services uh, to fill the gaps that are present with older adults and adults with disabilities right now. And it just doesn't do, that's not, that's just one population of focus. So it is really, really an important initiative in California right now, and uh, we really hope that this will uh, continue on into the future. It's uh, currently in a three-year pilot. The February presentation will be uh, from Uber and their cybersecurity initiative. And um, as Uber uh, is committed to providing safe, reliable rides and deliveries, they're also concerned about cyber fraud, particularly around cyber fraud with elder fraud. And um, so this presentation by Pamela DeRosa, who works as an investigative specialist for Uber's global investigations team, will provide insight on how scammers and fraudsters uh, commit those crimes and what elders can do to be alerted to that, be aware of that, and help prevent that from happening. Um, and as we know, in San Francisco, transportation is at a critical juncture. 
Um, so um, or companies like Uber obviously are really important in helping maintain a uh, level of infrastructure around transportation. Our March and April presentations are still to be determined, uh, but in May, we are partnering with the Department of Disability and Aging Services for a screening of the film, All the Lonely People, which will happen at the Coret Auditorium, the main library of the Coret, on May 13th from one to three o'clock. So uh, we're, lo we're all looking forward to that. We have a new slate of officers for 2024. Um, Fiona Hinze will continue on as co-chair. Uh, Judith Danther, who is here with me today, uh, has been elected to be the other co-chair. I am terming out after four years. Uh, our treasurer will continue to be Aurora Acevedo, and secretary is Christina Irving, and Christina is here today, um, just to mention. One-time only funding I mentioned in our last meeting, so I won't need to go through that again. Um, I do want to make mention, though, of the Dignity Fund Coalition's Forget Us Not campaign. And I think uh, we all know um, that the Dignity Fund proposition, I was um, overwhelmingly approved by the voters in San Francisco in November 2016 and helped establish a path um, for stabilized funding for services and supports for seniors and people with disabilities. Um, and key to that promise was funding would grow by $3 million a year. And um, unfortunately, in that legislation, um, it included language that the annual allocation could be suspended um, if the city's budget had a significant shortfall, which has happened in the last two years. Uh, we fear that's going to happen in the foreseeable future. Next year doesn't look so hot either um, for this funding. So, um, so uh, there are those here with the Dignity Fund, um, and we just want to keep it at the forefront that this $3 million contribution is critical to the services and supports for older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco moving forward. So um, I want to make mention of that and we'll continue to advocate on the Dignity Fund's behalf for this. That concludes my report. Thank you very much. Commissioners, are there any uh, questions? Quickly to say, I re just to recognize the fact that you're finishing up your term. So thank you so much for yeah. all the reports you've given us over the time. And the, I know the kind of work that goes into this. So uh, for any of these, and thank goodness for term limits, I'll say. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. I think it's a good thing, and we let welcome the new leadership. But thank you for everything you've done. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to know if um, commissioners could go to the film screen. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. Yeah, so thank you very much. Um, and you took the words out of my oh, mouth, I'm sorry. though. No, that's fine. It's all focused on those term limits. I, uh, term limits, I know. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Okay, commissioners, 
Item nine is general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to address the commission on matters that are not on today's calendar. Are there any members of the public that would like to address the commission today? Uh, moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers, thank you very much. Uh, next, that includes members of the public that wish to address the commission. Commissioners, your next item is item 10, old business. Commissioners, please indicate by raising your hand if there's any old business that you'd like to discuss. No old business and no, okay, we can move on. Commissioners, the next agenda item is item 11, new business. Item 11A is an action item that requires a vote from the commission. Then items 11B through 11C are informational items that do not require a vote by the commission, followed by items D and E, which are action items that require a vote for the commission. So here we go. Item 11A, informational review and approval of the fiscal year 2024, 2025, and 2025-2026 DOS budget. DOS Executive Director Kelly Dearman and HSA Deputy Director of Finance and Administration Dan Kaplan will present this item. Good morning, Commissioners. Good morning. Uh, I'm Dan Kaplan, HSA Deputy Director for Administration and Finance. Um, before I start, I'd like to just uh, call out the work of three folks who are crucial for putting this process together and certainly putting this, this report that I will be talking from today together. Uh, that's Genevieve Herrera, Alex Gleason, and Celia Pedrosa the respectively senior, senior principal and uh, budget director. Um, and the process of, of putting this together, as I've said before, is really a process that involves a lot of people. Can you move the mic a little closer? Because there's I could, a little I background. I can try. Does that sound better? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. the background right. noise. At yeah, the... okay. Thank you. S signal me if I slip away. I'm sorry. Okay. I will try and keep well. it uh, straight in front of me. Um, so many people put this together, but, but um, the budget team is really the team that coordinates the process and gathers the information, does the, the lion's share of the analysis, and presents a lot of the issues. And, and Kelly and I have then get involved in, in uh, some of the decision making, but, but the work that's done by the team is really crucial to making this happen and making it happen well. So as you know, this is a bad budget climate. The city is facing um, an $800 million two-year shortfall. Um, the state is facing a $38 billion shortfall. Um, and, uh, and the state has proposed a number of cuts um, and some funding delays, which is a relatively new art form, the, the notion that a program is funded, but there won't be money for it for a year, but then the money will pick up 
later on. We do have that issue with the Home Safe program in DAS, and we have it with a couple of issues on the uh, benefits and family services side of HSA as well. Um, so what we'll do today is we will review this larger budget context. Um, we'll focus on reductions in the DAS budget to bring the budget into balance. Um, and, uh, and then we'll look at um, a number of specific items within the DAS budget uh, that, that are significant items and, uh, and we want to call out for your attention. Um, and, and finally, we will, we will touch on a few big items, the IHSS MOE, which we normally say something about in this because it represents a very substantial portion of the DAS budget, the Dignity Fund, as Mr. Gallagher said a moment ago, we're all very focused on where we are in that, um, in that process of uh, suspending or not suspending Dignity Fund growth. Um, and then some impacts of SB 43 implementation and several other uh, community service uh, budget items. So I will start off, uh, Kelly Dearman will pick up in the latter part of this presentation and then we'll both answer questions. There we go. Okay, so the mayor's budget um, is, uh, is going to be proposed by the mayor in, uh, in June, right at the beginning of June. Um, as I mentioned a moment ago, and as I talked about last time, as I'm sure as you know from other sources as well, there's an $800 million gap between projected uh, revenues and projected expenditures that the city is trying to address through this budget making process. And that gap gets bigger over time. So, so we are working on the first two years of a five-year forecast. The city uh, approves a biennial budget, so two years ahead, next year and the year after. And then there are two out years. And the, and the uh, projected gaps in the out years are substantially bigger than the 800 million in the upcoming biennium. And so part of what we're doing here is we're trying to address that uh, that structural imbalance between revenues and expenditures. And the city goes through a process of reprojecting expenditures and revenues on a pretty continuous basis. The projection we're working off of now was done in the autumn of last year. There will be a new projection in mid-March of this year. And that will be the projection that the mayor has before her when she's uh, building her budget to be proposed on June 1st. So, so what we're doing now is we are, we're getting ready to uh, submit a proposal to the mayor based on the autumn projection, but there'll be an update and there'll be a lot of discussion back and forth between agencies and the mayor's office to keep in line. Um, so what the mayor has directed agencies to do is to propose 10% reductions in discretionary general funds and then to identify another 5% of contingency reductions. Um, so 10% uh, for HSA is about $6.5 million. We went through a mid-year reduction process this fiscal year. 
Um, and so over and above that, we have about $3 million of additional uh, gap to close to get to our target. So we'll be talking about both the things we proposed so far as they affect us and then what's coming up. Um, with regard to the state budget, obviously the governor made his proposal, he actually made the proposal on the, la on the day of the last OS commission meeting as we were speaking. Um, it is a budget that does affect a number of uh, human services areas. They are primarily on the DBFS side. I will just mention those because it's part of our larger budget context. So, um, there we go. So, these are the budget reductions we're trying to deal with. Um, in the first row of this, you can see the $6.5 million, 10% reduction target. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's the 5% contingency, so that's another $3.2 million. So collectively, HSA needs to identify about $10 million of potential reductions. <laughs> I think that must be the elevator work. Yeah, yeah. your work. Um, on the state budget side, uh, what we've got is a big reduction in the CalWORKs program. So CalWORKs program is the program that provides uh, financial uh, assistance to uh, families with incomes below a certain level. It also provides a lot of support services, so childcare, welfare-to-work services, housing support services, family stabilization services. Et cetera. And, and the governor did something that was unusual in this uh, year. He proposed a reduction of $12 million in the current year, in the current fiscal year. So we're halfway through the current fiscal year, but a substantial uh, reduction was proposed in what we call the CalWORK single allocation, which is eligibility and welfare to work services, and the um, Enhanced Subsidized Employment Program, which is a key program for helping people get into the workforce, and the Family Stabilization Program. We don't think those reductions will stand. The legislature has to approve them very quickly, and it does not look like that's going to happen. So presumably that, that reduction will come off the table. But the larger reductions in the budget year and the budget year plus one are still on the table in front of the legislature. And there'll be a substantial lobbying effort against those. Um, and we'll see how, how well that goes. But at this point, we are taking the attitude that this reduction of $16.8 million to the um, HSA budget will be significantly mitigated. But if it's not, we will have to deal with it. So the budget we're going to present to you and the comparable budget that I'll present on the DBFS side of the House uh, next week assumes that these reductions won't go into effect. But as I said, if they do in fact go into effect or if they partially go into effect, we will have to deal with that. Um, there are delays, and this is a point I mentioned before in funding. So there are, there are four social services uh, housing programs, as they're referred to. One of them is in DOS. It's the Home Safe Program. 
And, um, and these were all funded, uh, well, they were funded with, with a mix of ongoing money and one-time money several years ago. And um, the Home Safe program, we can just focus on that because that's the most pertinent to this budget, ha has money in the current year and will have money in the second year of the biennium. The governor has proposed stopping the payments in the first year of the upcoming biennium. And so we, we are going to attempt to deal with that by using one-time savings now to bridge us over that period. So that money does come out of the budget, but it's our goal to be able to fund the program during that period with one-time savings from prior years. Um, and then there are a number of other programs. The two called out here are in the Family and Children's Services program. Um, family Urgent Response System, generally referred to as FERS, um, provides mobile support for uh, children in crisis in the child welfare system. And then the Housing Navigation System is, is to help um, young people leaving the foster care system secure and stay in in permanent housing, and we are um, we are working on how to deal with those cuts as well. So these are these are all things that impact our revenue. Um, as I said, we are at this point uh, taking the attitude that we will collectively, all of us who who lobby on these things, um, I shouldn't use that word, who work with the legislature on these things. <laughs> um, that, that we will convince the legislature that these would be bad cuts to make. Um, but if you put it all together, we're facing a potential risk of $34 million in, uh, in the budget year. We know the city needs are, are there and they'll be real and we are gonna be contributing to them. The state issues, we may have some other ways to deal with or they may get back there. So the DAS reduction plan. So um, the DAS reduction plan has two parts, as I mentioned before. There are the mid-year reductions from this year, and then there are proposed new reductions. So the mid-year reductions um, included a number of things, um, but we probably didn't feel them explicitly as reductions in service. So the first thing was uh, $1.1 million of additional revenue in the IHSS program. So we project revenues every year. Um, you know, we, we sometimes get them absolutely right on the nose. Often we're off a little bit. This year, revenues came in better than we anticipated in the IHSS program. We didn't know that at the time that the mayor was proposing or that the board was voting on the budget, but we did know it by the time of the mid-year cuts. So that 1.1 million is additional revenue in the IHSS administration program. It does, not, it does not affect service. It just means we have an additional million dollars plus 100,000. Uh, to spend, but we're going to spend it on exactly the same thing. So we, in essence, gave up uh, $1.1 million of city general funds, but backfilled those dollars with state money. 
Um, there were three ad backs, three board ad backs that uh, were made in the last budget making process that we did not move forward on. And they together um, accounted for $260,000 of ongoing money. Um, they included 75,000 for adult day programs, 85,000 for community connectors programs, and 100,000 for food security and OMI. So those were new, they would have been new programs this year. We did not move forward with them and that resulted in a $260,000 uh, savings. Obviously it's a savings by not providing service, but, but it's, it's service that would have been new service. Um, and then this 360,000 of uh, personnel attrition. Personnel attrition is just our technical term for money we have available to spend on the salary budget. Um, HSA-wide, we took a reduction of $1.9 million of general fund. So this $360,000 is DAS's pro rata share of this. We, we in fact manage this, this money centrally and it hasn't at this point resulted in us stopping hiring. But reductions in the personnel budget could get to a point where we do have to slow up hiring or stop hi hiring. We haven't reached that point yet, but this moves us $360,000 closer to that point. Um, okay, those are the reductions that happened at mid-year. Um, going forward, uh, in coming up with the rest of the reduction, the rest of the 10% cut, um, we have in $1.1 million within DAS uh, of CBO contracting. We haven't settled on precisely what this is yet. It would come out of the CBO contracting line and the way we will approach this, assuming the, the mayor approves it, is we will, we will look at for underspending in contracts and we will attempt to right size contracts. And I, I wanna say, you know, I wanna say with full acknowledgement, that sounds completely benign, the way I say it. It's not completely benign. It's, it is the case that there's actual underspending and we can reduce the size of contracts and not affect the service that's actually being delivered. But it's also the case that when we entered into those contracts or grants, we believed a certain level of service was necessary and the CBO who, who got the grant um, tried to organize its work to deliver that level of service. And so this would be us saying uh, that didn't happen so, you know, it's not like you're gonna have to lay anyone off. It's not like clients who are currently getting service will stop getting the service, but it does speak to the potential for getting service. So, um, and then the last item that we have on, um, on the DAS list is fee revenue. And this is again, kind of like the IHSS revenue. Um, in the public administrator program and in the public guardian program, we do collect fees. Uh, for the work that the staff does. Um, the fee revenue has improved over time. Uh, and we have reprojected the fee revenue. It's about $400,000 uh, 
higher than was budgeted, and so we are changing that estimate. Uh, it's not like, it's not like, um, I mean, it is good work by the staff, but it's not like they have organized their work with the explicit purpose of collecting higher revenues. This has just happened over time. Um, so, so those are the items on the, for DOS that will go into our uh, reduction proposal, assuming you, uh, you approve this. Um, we are also meant to propose a contingency cut. So there'll be a contingency cut on the uh, DBFS side. There's also a contingency cut on the DAS side. Um, here, here's what we're dealing with, and we'll come back to the issue of the Dignity Fund on a number of occasions in this presentation. Um, the Dignity Fund it grows, as Mr. Gallagher said, at three percent, at three million dollars a year, um, and it is possible that that growth is suspended when the deficit the city is facing uh, crosses a, a trigger line. Um, at this point, the deficit has not crossed that trigger line. And I'll come back to this again and with some numbers. But um, so in the budget we are presenting to you, dignity fund growth is included. Um, we are perilously close to that trigger line. And so if the gap increases in the March projection, which it may well, then we'll be over, we may well be over that line. And if we're over that line, then it's possible for the suspension of growth in the Dignity Fund. If that happens, um, there are two issues. One is the one that was mentioned before, that there's no growth and, and the Dignity Fund is built on the notion that these services should grow over time. The second is that the Dignity Fund actually pays for inflation within the Dignity Fund. Um, so our current estimate of the cost of inflation within the Dignity Fund is $1.7 million. And so we will have to come up with that $1.7 million another, another way. So that, that is part of the contingency and we are simply proposing here that in the event that happened, we would, we would do that. We would have to reduce services in other places and put additional money or, or remove additional money from our budget to make up that difference. And, and I think that, you know, the key notion here is CBOs are providing service in the real world. Um, they are facing inflationary pressures that are real. We are going to be buying service, if you want to put it that way, uh, in support of clients in, in San Francisco. And we want to be able to pay what it costs to deliver the service that, that we're attempting to buy in our grants. Um, that means we should, in our minds, be putting inflationary money into those grants on the other hand, it might mean we have to buy less service. So that's, that's the dilemma we're facing. Okay, that, that's the, the high-level summary of our proposed reductions in the DAS budget. So what I'd like to do next is describe the budget. These are, this is the kind of description we always do in these. We're comparing the previous 
fiscal year to the proposed budget for the next fiscal year. I mean, the pre not the previous, the current fiscal year to the proposed budget for the next fiscal year. So the first way we look at it is how does the money spread out over our various programs? But, but before we even get to that, I guess I'd like to point out that the DAS budget, even in this time of reduction, grows by $21 million. Um, so it grows by 21 million, and there are three big buckets to be aware of. So the first is the IHSS MOE, which grows by 13.3 million dollars. That's just shy of two-thirds of the growth. Um, and, and we'll come back to the IHSS MOE again, because it, it's such financially, it's such a big piece of this. Um, but as you will recall, the city and the IHSS public authority together on the management side negotiate with SEIU 2015 for a contract to provide wages and benefits to IHSS workers. We have an existing contract. Um, it is a contract that gets the workers to a wage of 2550 over a four-year period. That four-year period is still in the out years in this biennial budget. But there are increases along the way. Um, and those increases spark increases in the cost to San Francisco for its IHSS maintenance of effort payment. Um, and so that's taken into account in this budget. Um, second area of growth is in OCP. Uh, uh, the Office of Community Partnerships. So, as I said before, the Dignity Fund grows by $3 million in this budget, in this proposed budget. Uh, there are staff colas in the OCP budget. Um, there is CODB for the non-Dignity Fund CBO expenses. Um, and, then, and then that is offset by the CBO reduction that I mentioned on the previous page. Um, and in total, that comes to an increase of $7 million. And then the rest of the increase in this budget is pretty much all salary and fringe uh, growth. So if you'll remember, the basic assumption of um, the forecast, or one of the key assumptions, was that city workers' salary and fringes would grow by the CPI. And one of the things I talked about last time I was here was that there's some risk in that. We are in the middle of labor negotiations now. There has been substantial inflation. It's down to a much lower level now, but, but there's been substantial inflation. Um, and we haven't gotten to a point at this point where we know where that bargaining is going to end up. So if it's higher than the CPI, then the deficit will go up as a result of that. Um, but as of now, what we've budgeted here is the CPI growth. So, okay. So the next slide we normally look at is what we call sources or where the money is coming from. Um, I guess I'll just call your attention to a few of the slices of this pie. Um, the first one is the state money. Um, it, uh, it goes down slightly from, um, 
from $95.4 million to $95.1 million. Uh, there are two things that are going on in here. And as I mentioned before, the revenue for the Home Safe program is suspended, in, or the governor has proposed that it be suspended in the, in the upcoming year. Um, so as I said, we will try and cover that with one-time money, and then when the revenue is back the subsequent year, we will have state revenue for it. Um, so that's a reduction, and then the increase in the IHSS revenue offsets that to some extent. So in total, it brings it down by $300,000. Um, the second slice I'd like to mention is what we call 1991 realignment revenue. Um, as you remember, realignment revenue is revenue that comes to human services agencies. It is funded by statewide sales tax and vehicle licensing fee money. And every year we project it. And, uh, and our projections are, to some extent, influenced by the governor's projections. Um, but it looks like there will be growth over the current year by about $1.9 million on the DAS side of the House. Now, um, 1991 realignment revenue funds a broad range of services, the biggest of which is IH, I mean, the biggest of which from a financial point of view is IHSS. And so um, the, uh, the 1991 realignment revenue here goes to offset the IHSS MOE which, as I mentioned before, is growing by $13 million. Unfortunately, the growth in realignment is not $13 million. It's about $2 million. And if we go over to the slice of the pie labeled general fund, which um, has also grown by about $13 million, most of that growth is, in fact, the um, IHSS MOE. So, the IHSS MOE grew by $13.3 million. We had $1.9 million of additional realignment revenue. So the general fund has to make up the difference. Um, in addition, there is CODB money uh, for CBOs outside of the, uh, the Dignity Fund and a little bit of salary growth money in there as well. Um, 2011 realignment grows a little bit, but but less than we had hoped when we made last year's budget. Um, in DAS, 2011 realignment money supports the APS program. Um, and then in the Community Living Fund, you can see there's also a very small increase um, that is uh, mainly made up of CODB and COLA. Um, so that that's the look at this from the sources or the funding side of things. And then, yes, category. Um, so category is the type of money or the type of things on which we spend money. And I'll just mention two slices here. Um, the biggest growth, as you'd expect, is in aid payments. That's where we put the money for the IHSS MOE. So that goes up about $13.5 million. And, um, and then under CBO grants, you'll see that we have growth of about $5 million. 
So three million of that is the Dignity Fund, uh, 200,000 of that is CLF, and the rest is pretty much CODB for, um, for contracts. Okay, there we go. So IHSS MOE, um, this is really, as I said before, I'm just calling this out because it represents two-thirds of the, the change in the DAS budget. Um, the IHSS MOE is projected to reach $179.6 million this year. We're pretty good about projecting it. There is a true-up process with the state. Um, so there are often small disagreements. Sometimes they're in our favor, sometimes in the state's favor. Um, but, um, but we're pretty good at projecting it because it's pretty much by formula. Um, so we're projecting $13.3 million uh, in the budget year and then another $17 million in the second year of the biennium. And this is based on what we know about the wages we will pay because they're in the contract and what we think health benefit costs will be. Um, and we go through a process working um, with the San Francisco Health Plan and the Department of Public Health at sort of resetting the health benefit budget and the health benefit premium that flows from that every year. And, and we have not yet done that. So that is a number we might have to adjust later in the process. Um, okay. So then the last item I would like to talk about before turning uh, this over to Director Dearman is Dignity Fund revenue. So as we've said, the, the Dignity Fund grows by $3 million a year um, unless we hit that trigger, at which point the growth can stop. Um, the trigger grows over time. So. So the idea is that the growth of the trigger is, uh, is tied to the growth of revenues that are available in the city. Um, the trigger started out at $200 million a year. So if we had a, a deficit of $201 million in an upcoming year, that would uh, cause the possible suspension of dignity fund growth. Over time, the trigger has grown. And it's now up to um, $252.5 million. So the estimated deficit at this point is $244.7 million. So uh, about a seven or $8 million difference. But as I, so we're to the good by seven or $8 million. But what, what will happen in March is we will get a new forecast. And since we're so close to the line, there's a risk we will cross the line. So that's, that's a risk that's out there. And as I said, in the budget, we have brought you today dignity fund growth in the first year of the biennium is included because the uh, gap in, um, in revenues and expenditures in the second year of the budget is so much bigger. Um, we are not anticipating that there'll be dignity fund growth 
in the second year of the biennium at this point. Um, but for the first year, we are anticipating it, and I just want to keep mentioning the risk that's there. Um, so if, if there is growth, it, it obviously will um, support growth of CBO programmings um, in the areas of access and empowerment, caregiver support and housing support. Um, and so as I said, there will be more on that as this process lays out. So I'd like to turn over to, um, to Kelly Dearman to talk about Senate Bill uh, 43 and some more com community service programs, and then, and then Kelly and I will both be available to answer questions. Thank you. Excuse me, went in the wrong room. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, so, I, can you put up that, that slide? There it is, thanks. Uh, all right, so I already mentioned Senate Bill 43 a while ago, which is um, the new law that went into effect January 1st that uh, changed, expanded the legal definition of grave disability so that it not only includes um, people with severe mental um, health issues, but also includes severe substance use disorder and the inability to provide for their own safety or medical care. So since January 1st, we have seen an increase of referrals of um, 140, and, which is a lot. Um, now, of course, not all of those will lead to conservatorships, but that does require um, a certain amount of work to figure out who um, will have to be conserved. There's investigation, there's all those things. So um, what you will see is that um, we have asked for staff uh, to um, help us with all of these issues, and those will be coming from vacancies within the agency so um, not, so it shouldn't have a, a big effect on the budget, but Dan can explain that better. So our plan is to add full-time employees based on the new cases we are bringing on. So we've asked for one supervisor and up to three deputy conservators, but we'll only add these positions on a rolling basis. And we've also asked for one intake position for the hub because the hub, um, also is doing a huge amount of this um, work. So there's also uh, a reference to IT costs that will be ongoing, and this is of course the uh, for the RTZ build out for intake to be able to continue um, to manage the list. So a lot of work is going on there. We're doing what we can to um, keep it all internal without adding additional costs, but um, so that's, that's what's happening with S, uh, Senate Bill 43. Next slide, please. So in terms of our um, Office of Community Partnerships, um, the RCFE in District 1, we're really excited for this project given the decline of smaller facilities that we have witnessed over the last few years and that the funding will be for operational support. So. Um, we're excited about that. In terms of CalAIM, the DOS Hub is receiving referrals from San Francisco Health Plan for Enhanced Care, Care Management, ECM, for two specific populations of focus. So one is 
are those in nursing facilities who wish and are able to return to the community, and two, those who are in the community at risk of going into skilled nursing. These are populations we have served for many years through the Community Living Fund program, who we will now serve as ECM, Enhanced Care Management. And it frees up city dollars, which can be reinvested into other services. So for the behavioral health pilots, these pilots came out of a need expressed by the community. Um, for a while now, this has been a need that's been expressed. And the idea is to put services for participants in community centers throughout the city. They will be group settings led by licensed individuals. And the idea is to offer services in a trusted setting, making it easier for participants. And Dan, do you want to do the last slide? So just where we are in time, um, obviously, we are at the second DAS budget meeting today, and we'll be asking for your approval to move forward with this submission. Um, the budget team will then have two weeks to finalize the, the technical details of the submission, and they will press send on uh, February 21st. And, um, and then the mayor's office will have that. And we will go through a large number of discussions with the mayor's office, some of them substantive, some of them technical, um, on the way to the mayor developing her uh, final recommendation to the board for a budget, which she will deliver on June 1st. And then we'll go into the board phase of the process, and we will have a new budget, um, hopefully by about the middle of July. So that, that's the process from this point forward. Thank you both. Um, commissioners, um, questions for regarding the budget? Yeah. Please, Commissioner Lum. Uh, good morning. It's doing the budget will make anybody gray. I understand that. And this is kind of a general question more than anything else. What what is our contingency plan? What you know, if the proposed cuts by the state actually takes place, seems to me we're going backwards by saying that. Well, we assume it's not going to happen. Therefore, we can you know we continue to budget our budget the way we want to do it, rather than saying okay, well you know what. The cut has already been been announced. Whether or not it takes place later on, you know, is immaterial. We should be budgeting ourselves based on what the actual money that we, you know, that we are going to realize at this particular point, rather than hoping that the cut's not going to happen. So, so that's a, um, I, I, you made it as a statement, but I think it, it's kind of a profound um, tactical question that we face when we're doing budget work. And, and in most years, um, we, have to project revenues. I mean, we, we always project revenues. We certainly projected revenues this year. Um, what we end up needing to do is two things. One is we are making judgments about some revenues that just come in. They're not an explicit amount in the state budget. Like realignment revenue is an example of that. Uh, we try and get the number right because we try and build programming around it. It's always going to be at least a little bit high or low. 
um, but we work to make a projection. Um, we also make judgments about the way state allocations will be handled. So this is something we don't talk about here a great deal, but um, the state passes a budget. Let's take the IHSS administration budget as a good example. Um, it is, what, about 370 million? 380? It's about, it's about $380 million statewide. And we go through a process of figuring out how it gets allocated out to the 58 counties. There are discussions that actually happen um, at the 58 county level. There's an organization called the County Welfare Directors Organization that pulls together representatives of county human services agencies to discuss the, uh, the methodology by which those dollars are allocated. And, and we have a certain amount of say. Um, Jill Nielsen represents us on the uh, adult and aging group. Um, HSA director Trent Rohrer represents us on a sort of a centralized group. I represent us on a finance director's group. Um, and these are all groups that talk about these allocations and come up with methodologies uh, that are ultimately put in place by the state if the state accepts the recommendations of the California Welfare Directors Association, which they generally do. Now, it's not 100% of the time. Um, but we go through discussions about what is the fairest or the best way to allocate that money. So if there are changes, at this point, we don't know exactly what the allocations are going to look like. So we have a little bit of um, educated guesswork to do around that. Um, and then what happens during the course of the fiscal year is that not every county spends its allocation at the same rate. So in San Francisco, we tend to overspend our allocations and we put local money into, into programs in ways that we don't technically have to. We do it to get a higher level of service. We also tend to pay our employees relatively well compared to most, most counties. Um, so we put local money in. Um, but that results in us overspending the state allocations in, in most cases. And in the middle of every fiscal year, um, counties get together and they say, who's overspending, who's underspending, who can give up some money this year, knowing they'll get it back next year, in next year's allocation, but who can give it up now so that the overspending counties can have a little bit more of their costs met. Um, and we have to guess or project or think through how much we're likely to get in that process. So all of that goes into us making a revenue forecast. In years where there are policy changes, there's also a political aspect to, um, to making this forecast. There is um, a set of questions around who's going to line up to uh, oppose uh, proposals. So I, th I think the big thing that we talked about in here is the 17-ish million dollars of cuts to the CalWORKs program. 
it's already evident to us that there will be substantial opposition to those. Um, you know, as we said before, the, the governor has a, has a big gap to close, but a lot of people will be pushing on this CalWORKs cut. And so we tend to discount the size of the cut. Um, in the CalWORKs program, we are also one of the overspending counties. So we have the ability to influence the allocation process, regardless of the amount of money that goes into that CalWORKs bucket. And then, because we're one of the overspending counties at the mid-year distribution, we may pick up some of the revenue that's on the table. So, so that's why, um, when I said we, we have not assumed that cut here, we have reasons to, to not assume that cut. Um, some of them are political. Now, as I said, we might be wrong. The governor's budget may stand firm. The legislature may say, well, we've listened to all these concerns, but we're not going to do it. It's a difficult situation. The cut's going to stand. We still have the opportunity to pick up some of that money in the allocation process and in the redistribution process. So when we go through, because we build programming around the budget that we have, we don't want to make cuts that we don't think are going to happen. And, and that's what's really behind our choice not to put in reductions at this point. A long answer to a very simply made statement, but, um, but that, that is the kind of thinking we go through. But if it happens? But if it happens? <laughs> then, if, I mean, I, that, that's the question from right. Commissioner Lum. If it happens, is well, there some other place to close the gap? I think that's. So if it happens, we have to do the sorts of things we've talked about. We have to look at where there's underspending we have to look at managing our personnel budget. Um, we have to then say, okay, if we haven't made it all up um, with those things, then what are the services that we're gonna stop? And we'll go through a process of figuring out which are the services that are least bad to stop. We won't internally be in absolute agreement about that, so that'll be a process. It's a that, oh, okay. That's that's the sort of thing that will have to happen. Okay. But to be to be quite frank, Commissioner Lum, we haven't gone through that discussion yet, and um, and it's a it's a big and a complicated discussion, and I want to get a little closer to certainty that we're going to be dealing with those state cuts before doing that. Thank you. Other commissioners. Okay, so I have a couple questions. Um, I'm going to start with um, the Dignity Fund and the $3 million that's in this budget in the 1.7 inflationary number. I just want to make sure I understand this. Um, today, it's $3 million is in the budget, and of that, 1.7 will cover the, the inflationary costs. Is, is that? That is. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, and... Is there ever a case where uh, just the inflationary cost would be covered and it wouldn't be $3 million flat, it would just be enough to cover the inflation? Like, is there anything in the legislation? I, I don't recall. So I'm just trying to 
Is it three million or nothing? So it's an all or nothing for the dignity fund. So, um, so obviously one of the things we could do is we could go back and see if there's some other way to come up with the $1.7 million. At this point, we don't have one. But, you know, okay. it, it's again, it would be, it, it's a situation that we may have to deal with. We don't have it in front of us right at. Okay. Just want to, I'm just trying to follow the yeah. all the numbers. And then um, we were talking about the growth in salaries and benefits would grow by the CPI. What is the CPI and when is it determined? Because, once again, another number I don't know. So so what will ultimately, the CPI now is three. It's two and a half percent. It's come down a lot, which is a good thing for the economy in general. Um, but, um, but the thing that will ultimately set the dollars in this budget will be labor negotiations. So, um, and when are those? Cause that's, so they're going on right now. Mm -hmm. I, I, before I came here, I was talking to my HR director and she's heading up to negotiations today. Okay. Um, they started in about the middle of January, um, there's a whole schedule lined out for them about you know when we hit uh, mediation and when we hit arbitration. But the the bottom line here is that uh, the contracts are all supposed to be signed and ready for approval by May 15th. Okay. And you know as as will probably be obvious since the mayor is proposing her budget on June 15th, that's a major input. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then I just saw one thing, and Kelly, this might be for you. Um, in the budget, it looks like APS, uh, this is about SB 43. So it seems like we have an increase in those numbers. Um, back on slide nine. Five, I guess, an increase in PA, PC, PG, and RP from uh, 9.4 to 9.8, and I'm assuming that's where uh, the additional services will be for SB 43. And then, but I see that the APS numbers are going down. Do we have any concern about APS service resources? Uh, decreasing year over year, or do you have any concerns about that? So, so the growth in there is really our salary growth. Right, but the APS numbers are going down, so I'm just curious. So, so APS goes down because the home safe um, money comes out for the budget year. And as I said before, we're going to try and bridge it with one-time money. One-time money. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for me. That's it. Any I, other questions? I, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm describing something that's um, more bandaged together than it really is. I, you know, the, uh, I mean, this is, this is the sort of process we go through all the time. We, we, 
work with revenues that we have. Yeah. Sometimes we have holes. We we look for ways to patch. So, in that sense, this is this normal. is not odd. Yeah. <laughs> it's normal for you. <laughs> and different for us. Okay, I just want to make sure that uh, there are no more commissioner questions. No. So with that, thank you, uh, Director Dearman, and thank you, uh, uh, Director Kaplan, Dire Deputy Director Kaplan. Uh, commissioners, um, will you indicate, no, there are no questions. I'm going to go. Um, Secretary, you're up. Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 11A? Thank you, so you have three minutes for public comment and your time's gonna start now. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Yeah. You start. No, thank you. Uh, good morning, commissioners and executive director Dearman. Um, my name is Marie Jobling and I'm here representing the Dignity Fund Coalition. Many of us here today have worked hard to pass the Dignity Fund legislation back in 2016. And we were very happy to see the new services and supports it provided uh, in, in, uh, to benefit older adults and people with disabilities. But then we became really discouraged when we started seeing the years where annual allocations were frozen. And it's not just the loss of the $3 million in that year, it is that the funding is lost in the baseline budget for many years to come. So we're grateful today that the DOS staff are recommending a budget that includes a hoped for, hoped for $3 million, and uh, you will hopefully move forward to recommend this budget to the mayor today. Um, but we urge you to keep working along with us so that we actually are able to secure the funding, um, not just for this year, but for the coming years. Um, we're here today as your neighbors and your, uh, and your colleagues, um, and we will be speaking to more of the city's decision makers. We want you to join our Forget Us Not campaign. You know, where flowers bloom, so does hope. Um, and, and if anybody would like to join or would like more information, um, they can contact us at flowerpower at sfcommunityliving.org. And one last comment, you know, just because uh, the city isn't required by law to give $3 million, it doesn't mean that it's not right and just for the city to do that. And we hope that you will advocate along with us to make that a reality. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there are the members of the public that would like to speak. Thank you. Good and morning. you have three minutes and it starts now. Good morning. Um, thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak today. My name is Christina Irvine and I'm also with the Dignity Fund Coalition. Um, I'm going to echo what Marie said, that we remain hopeful that the Dignity Fund allocation was in DOS's budget and are very appreciative of that. We are asking for the support of the Commission in our advocacy efforts, both for this next fiscal year and for the future years, that we are able to retain the funding um, that is so needed for this growing population of older adults and adults with disabilities within the city. The goal of the fund was really to create sustained funding for this growing population. Um, and as Marie said, that annual allocation is added to DOS's baseline. So when we lose the funding, the effect is cumulative. We think of it often in terms of this $3 million a year, but it, when it gets added into that baseline, it is a much greater impact. 
So the loss of the Dignity Fund allocation in this current fiscal year isn't just the $3 million now, it's an actual loss of $39 million over multiple years that would continue to support funds for services for older adults and adults with disabilities. Along with the loss of the Dignity Fund when it was suspended in fiscal year 21-22, if funding were to be lost next year as well as in the following fiscal year, the total cumulative impact would be $123 million over the course of the Dignity Fund legislation. Um, we will be meeting with the Board of Supervisors, hopefully with the Mayor's Budget Office as well, um, and we just appreciate any support from the Commission in this advocacy um, to ensure that really the funds within the city are delivered equitably and that we don't lose the funding for services for older adults and adults with disabilities when we don't see those similar um, suspension of allocations with other set-asides within the city. So we appreciate any support from the commission um, and are grateful for our relationship with DOS as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there are the other members from the public that would like to speak? Good morning and thank you for this opportunity. You. And your My three name minutes starts now. Pardon? Your three minutes starts now. Okay. Thank you. My name is Patty Spaniak-Davidson. I work for the Community Living Campaign. I manage the connector programs in various neighborhoods across San Francisco. It's an aging in place model. And I'm here today just to talk about what I hear from our uh, participants. And generally, um, people are very much afraid right now in San Francisco, older adults. Most of these people, as you know, I'm preaching to the choir, are baby boomers who chose San Francisco as their hometown. It was a chosen place. They came from other countries, other cities. Why did they come? Because it's a friendly, kind city with so many possibilities. And the services like the um, Christine, the model person of the month, spoke about that kind of caring and kindness is what makes people want to live in San Francisco. These people were here through booms and busts and ups and downs and voted, paid taxes, careers, families. And I say, hey, what program do you want? We did the loss program that uh, Diane spoke of. And many of them say, we are just afraid. We're just afraid about so many things. We have sticker shock when we check out for food. We, our friends and family are moving because they either can't afford San Francisco anymore or uh, maybe they are ill or they need to move into care. Um, so many people are living alone and loneliness and isolation, of course, is our number, you know, number one priority. So many people say, I'm afraid I live alone. I can't tell if I'm having cognitive decline or not. Can we do some program on that? So basically, I'm just here to say when you talk about inflationary woes, you know, we're right there with you. But, um, and that's basically it. I just wanted to say these people love San Francisco. They're afraid about living here, afraid about going to the drugstore that's no longer in their neighborhood, which they counted on, afraid of walking down the street, afraid of what they read about downtown. I live in the Outer Mission, Excelsior. Uh, they're like, what's going on? Does anybody care about us anymore? So forget us not. We are coloring, we're knitting, we're crocheting. And um, again, I, I just want to say how much the older adults love San Francisco and are hoping to get restored trust and faith again because it has been shaken like never before. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public that would like to speak? Uh, moderator, please open the phone line 
for callers. Are there any moderator? Are there any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you. We can move to the vote. Okay. Hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve? Second. Um, move and second. There's a move and a second. Okay. Mr. Secretary, please take the roll call vote. President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thank you. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Items 11B and 11C. I wanted to say thank you, commissioners, and um, we will provide updates as we go through this process. Okay. Thank you very much. Items 11B and 11C are both informational only items that do not require a vote by the commission. Agenda item 11B, presentation and review of the DOS Office of Community Partnership Program Memorandum Number 33, Consumer Grievance Process, will be presented by Mike Zog. Good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director Dearman. Uh, I'm Mike Zog, Program Director for Office of Community Partnerships. This item is a redo. It may seem familiar to you in October. I came to the Commission. I was very focused on getting a technical adoption by you so to satisfy requirements from the California Department of Aging. You guys had feedback. I went over to the Advisory Council. They had feedback. I didn't have a really great mechanism to implement that feedback and bring it back to you. So this is, this is my attempt to do that. Um, quickly, our, our a little background is our grievance policy. Um, this allows uh, for consumers um, who are uh, receiving services at DOS-funded services an opportunity, a structured pathway to have their concerns heard and responded to. Um, this is a means to make sure that uh, we're you know, providing the best possible quality services out in the community that we can. Three stages to our grievance policy. The first level is at the at the provider level. This is handled between the consumer and the provider. They are then able to appeal that up to the department. We have our DOS uh, Clinical and Quality Improvement Unit, a distinct unit in DOS, um, who uh, essentially review, document, investigate um, these grievances, and then uh, kind of make a recommendation regarding next steps on that. Um, Third level is a DOS Advisory Council panel review. Um, again, most are resolved at that first level. Um, we have a handful of um, appeals that come to the second level. We've actually not had a Advisory Council appeal in recent, in recent memory. Um, so updates to this document since I last came to you, um, there are just a couple, there are some, I cleaned up a little bit of the language along the way to make it read a little easier. I've added some headers in each section around level one, level two, and level three to make it more clear about, um, about what, where we're at. Um, the, I think the biggest change was feedback that came from the advisory council, and that was changing the language in that their um, sort of ruling on the matter is truly an advisory ruling, which is forwarded to um, the executive director of the department. The executive director then has the option to adopt that um, advisory ruling or edit it as he or she, she sees fit. Um, 
So before, so for feedback, here's what I'd like to do. We'll have, we'll have, I have my notepad here and I'm ready to go and take notes. Um, we also, I want to give you the opportunity if you want to take more time with this, um, you can submit um, comments or concerns to Ravi um, and he will compile them and forward them to me. Um, ideally, if you could get those to him, say midday on Friday, February 16th, so maybe about 10 days from now, that would be great. Um, with the idea that um, I can be working those into the process. In the meantime, I'm gonna go back to the advisory council, get any additional feedback from them with the idea of coming back hopefully in March with um, all uh, feedback incorporated, a recommendation from the advisory council and then seeking your, um, seeking your uh, adoption at that point. So with that, questions or, or kind of comments? Um, any questions from the commission? Um, I don't know if this is relevant. Um, only our base, but as the advisory council receive any ableism training or racism training, I know this may not be the right question, but I was just curious. Uh, Commissioner, so the question I heard was um, whether or not uh, the advisory council has received any ableism training in thinking, I think, uh, idea, thinking. Yeah, racism, racism training. Okay, I don't know that answer. I, I'm gonna bring up the, an expert, DOS advisory council president. I, I know we went through some training um, a couple, I think it was on ableism, but I will go back and see if I still have my notes. Uh, we did it with the commission um, yeah. about a year, two years ago. Oh, maybe. And um, I did want to make one comment. The reason we asked for one of the recommendations um, that um, Mike mentioned is we don't see ourselves as a decision-making body. We're an advisory body. And the way it stood, we were concerned that that was changing our role. And um, so I just wanted to throw that in as reference. But I'm pretty yeah. sure we have, but I'll double check. You know, because I'm thinking maybe it's time for a person. When you stated that, Commissioner, I thought exactly the same thing because we have new members, so we'll add it to our to-do list. Yeah, yeah, and if you need any help, let me know. And I'll add Diane, we can keep in touch if we have any resources we can share with you. Logistical. Um, if you don't hear from us, in other words, do you need to hear from each one of us to, to say, yes, I had feedback from everyone? I do, or I do not. You do not have to affirmatively okay. provide feedback. So if we're fine with this and don't say anything, you're, you, you, you've completed your feedback. This is correct. Requirement. Okay. Yes. And so I just have one final comment. Will this come before us again, or is this like... Yes. Want, okay, for approval at some... Okay. Yes. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Uh, do we have to do public comments on it? Oh. Uh, are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 11B? 
This was informational. It was, we still have to do it. Oh, got it. Sorry. Yeah. Um, moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment and agenda, agenda item 11B. We'll hold for a few minutes. Moderator, are there any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you. We can move on. Okay, sorry, I jumped ahead. <clears throat> Item 11C, fiscal year 2324, area plan budget amendment one. Uh, presented by Genevieve? Genevieve, yep. Genevieve Herrera? Herrera. Herrera. <laughs> sorry about that. We'll present this item. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I will be brief. Uh, I have some good budget news for once. Um, we have yeah, just, a thing. just a small bit of, um, so we have received notice that um, we are getting uh, $532,000 in additional area plan um, grant funding uh, for this fiscal year. Of that, uh, uh, 91,656 is going into our area plan baseline, so we will see that again. Um, that comes from federal funding. Um, the CDA applied new data to its funding formula, which resulted in a uh, in bigger allocation for San Francisco. So we will see that funding in um, programs for congregate nutrition and home-delivered meals. In addition, we have uh, $440,635,000 in one-time funds. Uh, these are largely uh, funds that are the result of remaining balances from last year's area plan uh, allocation statewide, and so they've just been redistributed um, of that $440,000, about $20,000 is not from the redistribution of leftover savings from last year, but rather it is the result of an increase in the, uh, a statewide fund for ombudsman services. Uh, the funding, all this funding needs to be spent by June 30th. Um, we'll, I believe later in this agenda, you'll be looking at some modifications to contracts be with this funding. Thank you. Um, are there questions by the commissioners? Any questions by the commission? Sounds like lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to say this is a comment. This seems to answer the question that Dan Kaplan was presenting about the negotiations that happen later where there's additional dollars that I'm going to say magically show up, but it's not magic. It's basically based on the negotiations that happen. So this is our understanding. Perfect. Boy, I'm learning something today. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, any, it's the budget uh, in action. It's the budget in action. Please don't leave. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Secretary, are there any members of the public who would like to uh, comment? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 11C? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on item 11C. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their request. Uh, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. We can move on. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, that was good news. Whew. 
Commissioners, items 11D and 11E are action items that require a vote by the commission. Requesting a vote by the commission to appoint Renee Richards to the DOS Advisory Council for a two-year term as a DOS commission appointee. The DOS commission nominating committee has nominated the applicant Renee Richards to be appointed on the DOS Advisory Council for a two-year term. Are there any questions um, or comments from the commission? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 11D? A moderator, could you please open the phone line for public comments on item 11D? And there are no callers in the queue. Thank you very much. Uh, Ravi, I think we have someone at the podium who wants to speak on this item. That's Chris. Oh, this is Renee. I know, okay. but right, does she... Do you want to speak yeah. on this item? Oh, no. Okay. Just, I'm, I'm just looking forward to service on this <laughs> council. I just want to make, I, I knew it was for me. I was digesting everything that happened today, so. <laughs> okay. Am I done? All right. Thanks. Would you like to talk on your own behalf? Anyway. Um, commissioners, um, hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we'll close public comment. Is there a motion and a second? I move. Okay. Second. And a second. There's a motion and a second. Mr. Secretary, please take the roll call vote for item 11D. President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you for being willing to serve. Okay. <clears throat> Our next item, commissioners, is requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreements with multiple providers during the period of February 1st, 2024 through June 30th, 2025 in the additional amount of $3,521,363. Dollars twice. Plus a 10% commit, um, contingency for a revised total not to exceed $26,711,000 thousand seven hundred and forty one dollars this will be presented by tiffany dang thank you good morning commissioners president spears and executive director dearman good morning my name is tiffany dang and i'm a nutritionist for dos i'm joined by fellow nutritionist leah walton to seek the commission's approval for eight grant modifications across six community partners six of the eight Modifications are for congregate nutrition programs, one is for a home-delivered grocery program, and one is for a home-delivered meal program. DOS receive additional federal and state funding for nutrition services and is allocating these funds along with one-time-only dignity fund savings to community partners who are providing services above their current contracted service level. This year's 3.75% cost of doing business adjustment, or CODB, is also included in the modifications. Because some of the funding is one-time only, the amount of funding allocated to the individual nutrition partners' grants may vary between this fiscal year and the next fiscal year. DOS has based the allocation of available funding on the nutrition par partner service level projections for this fiscal year and to the extent possible next fiscal year. Also considers were the priorities set forth in the DOS area plan in the 2022 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment. I'll hand it over to my colleague Leah to present the first four modifications in this item. Good morning, Commissioners, President Spears, and Executive Director Dearman. Uh, the first two grant modifications listed are for Bayview Senior Services. 
Bayview has four congregate meal sites and focuses on providing culturally responsive nutrition services in districts five and 10, and they are especially beloved for their fish Fridays. Uh, Bayview has seen a significant increase in demand for nutrition support services since the onset of the pandemic, and that increased need remains. Uh, we are seeking to modify Bayview's Congregate Nutrition Services for Older Adults program by adding a little over $1.5 million to support roughly 166,000 meals across fiscal years 24 uh, and 25. We are also seeking to modify Bayview's Congregate Nutrition Services for Adults with Disabilities program by adding about uh, $130,000 to support approximately 12,600 meals through fiscal years 24 and 25. Bayview used a portion of their COD B adjustment to address rising program costs and is a and a portion toward more meals for adults with disabilities in both fiscal years. The third grant modification is with Central Latino de San Francisco for their Congregate Nutrition Services for Adults with Disabilities program. Central Latino has six sites located in districts two, six, and nine, and they're notable, notable for scratch cooking culturally responsive Latinx meals using minimally processed ingredients. The total modification adds a little over $90,000 to support approximately 6,000 additional lunch meals in this fiscal year and next fiscal year. And additionally, the modification will support a meal rate increase to address rising program costs, such as purchasing quality food and retaining skilled staff. The fourth grant modification is with Golden Gate Senior Services for their home delivered grocery program, which provides clients residing in District 1 with a weekly bag of groceries delivered by a friendly and consistent volunteer. The program has a loyal base of volunteers and nearly one-to-one -one ratio of volunteers to clients. A previous modification was made to increase service levels up through fiscal year 24 to meet the anticipated demand, but at that time funding was not available to increase service levels in fiscal year 25. With the funding available now, we'd like to add about $89,000 to fiscal year 25 only to maintain current service levels, and this modification adds 3000 300 grocery bags, 124 social service hours, and 40 outreach hours to fiscal year 25. Additionally, COD B in the amount of $7,376 would be added in both fiscal year 24 and 25. And now I'll be handing it back to Tiffany to present the last four modifications. The fifth grant modification is for Project Open Hands Congregate Nutrition Services for Adults with Disabilities program. Project Open Hand is a reliable, client-centered, congregate nutrition provider with 10 sites in eight districts. Project Open Hand's team of dietitians and chefs develop diverse menu options that reflect their diverse client base. We would like to add about $230,000 to support an additional 18,000 meals in fiscal years 24 and 25 to sustain current and projected demand. Project Open Hand is using their COD B adjustment to address inflation and the associated increases in food, fuel, and staffing costs. The sixth grant modification is with Russian American Community Services, or RACS, Congregate Nutrition Services for Adults with Disabilities program. RACS is located in District 2 and focuses on serving authentic Russian cuisine five days a week. Their menu features items such as kajeri, which are Russian-style meatloaf, dark rye bread sourced from a local bakery, and piroskis, which are stuffed buns. The total modification is about $38,000, which includes COD-B and additional funding to support about 3,400 more meals across both fiscal years. 
Additionally, the modification will support a meal rate increase as Rex is a smaller provider and has a smaller economy of scale. The meal rate increase will address increased program costs such as food procurement, staffing, and facility costs. The last two modifications are for self-help for the elderly. Self-help provides congregate and home-delivered nutrition services for older adults and adults with disabilities across the city. They focus on providing culturally responsive services to the city's Asian communities with care and respect. Chinese cuisine is the primary type of meal they provide. The first of their modification is for their home-delivered meal services for older adults program. The total amount requested is approximately $1.2 million. The modification will support roughly 82,000 meals between fiscal years 24 and 25. It will also support the required initial and annual assessments for the additional consumers served in both fiscal years. The final modification is for self-helped congregate nutrition services at Geneva Community Center in D11. The Geneva Community Center launched in March of 2022 with the support of DOS through the Dignity Fund Service and Allocation Plan in fiscal year 22. The high demand for culturally responsive nutrition support in D11 remains consistent. The total modification amount is about $155,000. The funding will support self-help with providing approximately 14,000 meals across fiscal years 24 and 25. In summary, the eight modifications will fund over 300,000 meals and grocery bags, of which 200,000 are allocated in fiscal years 24 and 100,000 are allocated in fiscal year 25. An estimated 762 additional consumers will be served in fiscal year 25, 24, sorry, and additional 428 consumers will be served in fiscal year 25. DOS nutrition partners ensure that their services are culturally responsive and meet national nutrition standards to prevent malnutrition and poor health status. Service also include nutrition screenings, education, and create a pathway to other supportive services. Thank you for your time and consideration. If you have your, any questions, we'll do our best to answer them. Thank you. Commissioners, are there any questions regarding these, this modification, these modif modifications? It's a very thorough presentation. Yeah. Questions on my part. Okay. Um, Secretary? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment? Moderator, please open the phone line for comments. And we'll pause one second. Moderator, are there any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve these modifications? Uh, yeah, I move. Uh, second. Okay, it's been moved and seconded. Mr. Secretary, please take a roll call vote for item 11E. President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks, we have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Um, commissioners, are there any announcements? I just have one, um, and this is at the state level. The state has a LGBTQ survey that is out, um, and, and I think it's important that we pass that along to all members of the community to make sure it's the first time that the state has done this uh, statewide survey um, on the LGBTQ plus community, and um, it is going to provide, I'll call it guidance, to the master plan for aging and the other services that the state provides. 
And this was being distributed by various community groups, right? Project. Various community groups, and it's actually on the state website, yeah. too, so if you I, want to. That's the one. I, I did do that. Yeah. I, I, I completed mine. Okay. <laughs> that's the only announcement that I have. It was a great survey. Any other? Um, yeah. I made that we were having a joint meeting with um, the mouth of the mouth um, I'm committing on to the on February 16th. The upcoming meeting, I think. Okay. Oh, oh, yes. yes. Upcoming meeting between yes. um, uh, the DOS Commission and MOD. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm a, well, that and be I, I think it's from one to four, I believe. So, exactly. Yes, that's correct. Thank uh, you, Commissioner Bitter. It's um, the, the announcement for the the DOS joint M with MOD Mayor's Office Disability Meeting that will take place in room 400 okay. next week from 1 to 4 p.m. Friday, February 16th. Thank that you. we will all be in attendance. We will all be there. Right. <laughs> any, any other <laughs> announcements? Uh, Commissioner Norm. It's, it's going to be a great weekend. Saturday It's going to be Chinese New Year, Go Year of the Dragon. And of course, Sunday, go Niners. All right. <laughs> Wouldn't be San Francisco unless we. With, with, all, with that, I will adjourn. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for the go Niners. Appreciate Somebody it. Had to